The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell, Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. This is the program for spiritually enlightening discussion, interviews, and the practical application of new thought principles to transform your life. Now, here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell. I am the Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister, and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. I didn't have a show last week, but I was actually at Unity Village because uh, we had a program there, uh, meaning the church with our meditators, uh, meditation group, that working with Unity did uh, basically a Johnny Coleman day where we actually uh, placed a placement stone for her and uh, Reverend Dr. Mary Tumpkin, who was her successor uh, in, uh, as the president of the Universal Foundation for Better Living, and uh, right next to the large tower that said Unity Village. And we uh, placed a plaque in the front of the Rose Garden where all of the fountains are in Unity Village. So it was really a great day. So even though I missed last week, we're coming back strong to do what we have to do. And to help us bring back, uh, come back strong, I have a fantastic guest today, a friend of mine, a sister in spirit, um, Miss Yatasha Womack, who is the author of Afrofuturism, Rayla 2212, Post Black, and many other books. So without further ado, hello, Yatasha, how are you doing? Hey, I'm fantastic, Galen. How are you? Excellent, excellent. So I asked you to come on the show because I, I thought that this would be a really good conversation to talk about Afrofuturism and alternative spiritualities with African Americans and also having the perspective of growing up new thoughts. So before we actually um, get into the questions and, and obviously asking people to call in and ask questions, can you give people a little bit of background on yourself? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, I actually mentioned that I grew up in the New Thought philosophy. I came out of Christ Universal Temple, so it's uh, really, you know, from a, a spiritual standpoint, one of my primary reference points and played a big role in shaping my worldview with respect to the imagination, really. And so I guess it comes as no surprise that as I started doing a lot of writing about culture and uh, writing for different papers, and I would cover hip-hop culture and entertainment culture and, um, you know, culture around the African diaspora, that eventually I'd write a a book called Afrofuturism, which references... Uh, black culture and science fiction, but also uh, heavily emphasizes just the use of the imagination and, you know, talking about culture in the future. So the book Afrofuturism came out about two years ago, and since then I've been kind of traveling all over, um, and even, you know, going to to Europe and, and Canada, and, uh, you know, I've had invitations to speak in other places to talk about um, culture as it relates to science fiction and as it relates to just talking about the future uh, and what that is and, you know, just people's ability to even imagine the future and how awesome an experience or how transformative that can be. So uh, that's been a great deal of my work. You know, you can see me, you know, at a lot of the Comic-Cons and science fiction conferences, <laughs> but also at the... Um, 
uh, a lot of conferences that engage social activism around and are looking to Afrofuturism uh, as another narrative around how to talk about the future and social change. Beautiful, beautiful. So before we start drilling down on the book, could you talk a little bit about what was it like going up New Thought? <laughs> well, you know what? It's kind of funny. Um, when you, you grow up, in my case, I grew up New Thought, uh, but I grew up in a megachurch environment. So, you know, it's almost like you're in a, a, a happy world of magic, right? Um, the, in my case, you know, you had Reverend Coleman, who was this amazing persona, um, you know, very colorful in a lot of ways, and um, and and she's an actual woman. So, I mean, there are a lot of things that were very normalized for me that weren't normalized for other people. Uh, you know, New Thought very much emphasized the fact that it's a path among many. So there was a lot of openness to um, religious tolerance. Uh, there was also a great emphasis in the way that, you know, I was taught new thought around the fact that we're, you know, spiritual beings at heart. You know, that's our primary identity, and that's the primary thing that connects us as people. And so <laughs> with that as a backdrop, you know, I think that it created um, a big point of resilience, um, a real opportunity to be, in some cases, self-referential, but I also feel like you're part of this larger community. And because I had the, the privilege of learning it in an environment um, where most of the people were people of color, it was also an orientation that I saw as having a cultural connection, which later I learned is sort of an important thing uh, for people to, to have that relationship around uh, some of their practices. So, I mean, you know, but in addition to that, you know, we had a lot of fun. I mean, you had these exciting youth programs. Um, there are always these dances and events and workshops and conferences. So it was a very lively environment um, and continues to be. Yes, yes. So once you became an adult, because, you know, growing up in the bubble is, of magic, uh, I, I think that's what you said, the bubble of magic. Or <laughs> yes. I like that. I'm borrowing that, by the way. You'll hear that again. <laughs> <laughs> Once you, you know, went away to college and then, you know, you know, moved into adulthood, how did growing up in in an environment that promoted your own divinity and, and that you could do anything that you could put your mind to affect how you experienced and encountered life as an adult? Well, it does a couple things. I think, one, you don't perceive obstacles as obstacles, right? Um, you know, there's, in New Thought, you see these as opportunities for growth. You see them as <laughs> platforms for change. You see them as moments to kind of reflect and, and look at another way to reach your goal or reevaluate your goal. And so in that case, you know, the, the concept of something being impossible isn't really a, a – isn't really acknowledged, you know. I mean, you can get into maybe what your skill sets are, what you're good at, or, or you know, what kind of team you need to be a part of to help reach certain goals. But the idea that something can't be reached is not even part of the hardwiring. Um, so that's one. And then I think the whole notion of identity is a little transformative, too, because the, I think the ability, when you start viewing yourself as either a spiritual being uh, and you see this beauty in humanity, um, it, it helps you to form connections with people, uh, whereas other people might see barriers. So, you know, there wasn't, I didn't really have this idea of me being separate or apart. Um, because of, you know, uh, gender or ethnicity or nationality or where I came from. I mean, I, I think in New Thought, at least as I learned it, you know, you're very much aware that these are um, your, your, your gender, for example, is just a part of how you're expressing, how you're expressing in this time, right? Um, so some of these identities are a lot more fluid, um, which then gets back to the who are you notion, 
Uh, and it, you're not defined by communities. You're not defined by outside projections of you. And that just changes your ability to navigate. Uh, but it also changes. <laughs> it can also make you the, uh, the, the square trying to fit in the round peg too, right? So, <laughs> uh, and that's a good thing. I mean, I think the whole aspect of being unique, which, um, you know, as you know, Reverend Coleman, she always talked about being unique. It was something to embrace, you know. It wasn't something to run from, uh, and that just makes it easier, I think, to to navigate in the world. Yeah, uh, yes, that, uh, very well said. So, what is Afrofuturism? Well, Afrofuturism is a way of looking at the future or alternate realities through a Black cultural lens. Uh, so it can um, function as a, an artistic aesthetic, you know, saying music or dance or art. Uh, it can be a, an epistemology of sorts, you know, meaning a, a worldview. Um, but it's also used, too, as kind of a, a mode for kind of self-healing in some ways or community-based healing. And so... Um, you know, in that sense, you know, it's. I like to say it's an intersection between black culture, uh, technology, the imagination, liberation, uh, but also mysticism. And if you look at a lot of the sci-fi literature or if you look at, you know, a lot of the music, while there's this emphasis on technology in the future, there's also sort of this dynamic of, of mysticism too. And, and part of that has to do with the fact that so many of the people who we now describe as Afrofuturists uh, were very much connected to either non-traditional religions or inspired by new thought or at least familiar with other philosophies that uh, played a big role in some of their writings. Uh, but in that sense, you know, Afrofuturism is, is different from just um, sci-fi as we usually talk about it, um, in part because of this mysticism element, but also because there's a recognition of there being a divine feminine uh, and femininity from the uh, – femininity is very much valued, you know, and, and women are valued. Um, but just the feminine aspect of humanity, meaning intuition is valued, meaning that emotions are valued, um, in addition to the masculine, of course, but – I think that's something that, that makes it stand apart. Uh, and then also there's a big emphasis on uh, the time, you know, with respect to the time, the past, the future, and the present kind of being one or, or merging or being fluid. And you see this in a lot of the, the music and some of the writing and uh, in a lot of the conversations as well. So in, in, in that sense, you know, a lot of people who – you know, may not necessarily be um, a part of the African diaspora when they learn about the concept of Afrofuturism are just sort of interested because it's another viewpoint on how to talk about life or how to talk about uh, the future. And, you know, there's a, a wealth of, of work and art uh, that's coming out of that as well. That's good. That's good. When you were talking, I thought about the scripture from the book of Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people perish. So one of the things about using imagination and thinking about the future and what does that mean for any particular person or culture means that you're actually now doing thinking that's beyond your present moment. And that's right. always a good thing. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, that's really, you know, on on one level, that's what makes Afrofuturism significant because a lot of our of the sci-fi that's been recognized or a lot of the, the sci-fi out of, you know, the U.S. and in the films and in literature uh, was not diverse. Um, you know, people used to have jokes about the, the black character being the, the first to die in the sci-fi film, you know, going back uh, a decade or two, right? And right. so there seemed to be this constant narrative when people would talk about the future, when they would talk about technologically advanced uh, cultures in the future, you know, there was not a high level of diversity and, and certainly not, you know, a great deal of people of African descent. And then, there, you know, so there was this challenge around even creating that representation. 
Uh, and you have documentaries about people who were doing maybe comic books, you know, 30, 40 years ago, and the challenge of even trying to convince people that, yes, you know, not only do black people want to see images of black people in the future, but that other people would be open to seeing that image. So um, when it just comes to representation, you know, there's just sort of a control around who can tell the story of the future and then who's in the future, right? Right. And, you know, and that and that has some, can have some really damaging impact on kids and adults as people are developing uh, because they can, you know, might not feel empowered to reference their culture or themselves in the future. They might not feel comfortable thinking about the future. Um, or in some cases, maybe didn't even think they could think about these things. And so, uh, you know, that can seem, and so it's interesting when I start having conversations with people. I mean, in the book itself, I interviewed uh, one writer uh, who was saying that, and she's a well-known writer, and she was saying that when she first started writing science fiction stories, she was a big sci-fi fan. When she was a kid, she'd write these stories. She didn't feel like her first couple stories um, as a child didn't have black characters in them because the books she read didn't have black characters. And she was a black woman. And, you, and you know, at some point, you know, I think she read an Octavia Butler book and thought, oh, wow, it's okay for me to reference my culture or have someone who looks like me in this story. Now, that's a, a, a total uh, piece of alienation, right? You don't right. even feel comfortable referencing yourself or anyone who looks like you uh, for fear of it, or not even for fear, but unconsciously not feeling it would be accepted. And, and you know, I, that's a, a relationship that's not a comfortable one. And then that's where I talk about the therapy piece or the avenue around social change because the, it's not just, um, in some cases, some people of color wrestling with seeing images of themselves in the future. You know, people who, who don't identify as people of color also aren't accustomed to seeing people of other ethnicities in the future. And, you know, psychologically that can be damaging. And at least for some kids, uh, it creates avenues where they don't necessarily feel they have agency. On a small level, we need this agency to tell a story. You know, on a larger level, it can mean agency to make a difference, period, Right. So in that sense, just this whole narrative around talking about Afrofuturism, uh, it is one of of empowerment and one of resilience in some ways. And yeah, you know, it's, I, oh, excuse me, I apologize. Oh, no, I no, go ahead. I can keep going on and on, so you have yeah, to stop me. <laughs> uh, I'm about two minutes from a break, so I did want to make this comment, then we got to take a quick break. You know, growing up, and I was I was a big Star Wars fan, and I was like, well, the only person in the future that's black is Billy D. Williams, and but they had aliens of every every kind that looked <laughs> all different kind of ways, but it was only right. Billy D. And exactly. fast forward from the early 1970s, uh, mid 1970s rather, to last year when they continued the series and people found out that the male lead was an African-American and people who were diehard fans who grew up with Star Wars just like we did decided that they wouldn't go see the movie because they couldn't project African-Americans into the future in a sci-fi movie. It was it was it was amazing. I mean, that was like a real thing. It was major articles written in major newspapers just about this one issue. You know, right. is he a Jedi? Is he going to be a leader? Why is he the male lead? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. The, um, you know, is he going to be a love interest? As if none of those things are possible because it's it's not within the context of the people doing the thinking. Um, it, it it was a really interesting dynamic. I want to put, just put a pin in this part because I want to pick it up when when we come back because we're about forty five seconds away from the break. So I need to let people know that. Uh, this show has a Facebook page, Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Go on Facebook, click like, share the post with other people. I put on videos and quotes and, and different things that help support your spiritual transformation. Also, remember that these shows are available on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, which is an Android app, Stitcher Radio, for free. 
You can download the podcast, all of the previous podcasts, including this one. It should be available by tomorrow. And you can also go to the website, unity.fm, and pull up my particular page for Truth Transforms and listen to all of the shows. Share the post on your social media, et cetera. You know, so we can get this message out that transforms the world. Also, just a quick reminder that this show, along with all the other shows on Unity Online Radio, are supported by your donations. So as you freely receive, freely give. Let's get this message out around the world so we can be a part of the transformation of human consciousness. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms. you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. Have you asked your soul what it wants? Or are you so busy meeting the needs of everyone else? Family, friends, children, bosses, that you haven't checked in with the part of you that matters most? Janet Connor asked this question and received an answer. Your soul wants five things. That's it. Five things. Your soul wants to connect with source, commit to values, serve a purpose, express itself creatively, and last, it longs to create a beautiful, abundant life. Janet Connor teaches five wisdom habits that meet those needs. You can take each course separately or register for the complete Your Soul Wants Five Things series and receive $1,000 in bonuses for free. Visit JanetConnor.com and explore all five courses in her signature series, Your Soul Wants Five Things. Your soul will thank you. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. for tuning in to Truth Transforms. Now, here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I'm interviewing the author of Afrofuturism, Yatasha Womack. Before um, I go forward with the conversation, let me remind you that if you want to call in and actually ask Yatasha Womack a question about Afrofuturism, alternative spirituality, imagination, or anything that is covered in this book, you can call into 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. You can ask a question, or you can make a comment, or you can just call in and say hi, and that's cool, too. So, 888-558-6489. So, Yatasha, I wanted to ask you about music and Afrofuturism, because you write a lot about uh, musical artists in the book. Could you expound and maybe give a few examples of musicians that are considered by many to be uh, a part of the Afrofuturism culture? Sure. Uh, well, one of the most popular references uh, would be Sun Ra. 
you know, Sun Ra was a a jazz artist who came of age in Chicago, born in Birmingham, uh, but he did what we might describe as very experimental jazz uh, and very much believed that he was brought here to Earth. Uh, he had a mythology about him coming from, from Saturn, uh, and he said that he was brought here to Earth to to help heal people with music. So he created music that he believed could change frequencies and vibrations on the planet and and can help uh, either facilitate telepathy or enhance love vibrations. And so he's a big reference uh, in, in music. And there were many artists. Uh, I mean, you can look at Parliament Funkadelic, uh, and if you look at their lyrics, a lot of the inversions around reality, a lot of the... You just listen to how the music was constructed. Uh, you look at the album covers. There's a lot there. Um, you can look at uh, a lot of the jazz artists, of course, like Coltrane or Alice Coltrane, of course, who was very amazing. And, you know, kind of moving on, if you look in hip-hop, a lot of hip-hop culture uh, referenced a lot of sci-fi or even just the construction of early hip-hop, where you're literally taking... Um, taking, you know, two record players and, and they're not designed as instruments. You're taking things that aren't instruments and you're creating music. So just that that concept is very much, you know, futuristic. And and then you look at a lot of the subject matter that some of the early hip-hop artists were referencing. And, you know, you can include house music in that. You can also include artists like Janelle Monet, you know, and, and her... Cindy Mayweather, alter ego that's, you know, an android who, who's not accepted. Or you look at uh, Flying Lotus and a lot of the, the beat music scene out of L.A. So um, some of my favorite artists are King Britt or, you know, Raj G, and they do a lot of electronic music uh, that's very sonic, but it, it, it has a different purpose to it. Yeah, well, you know, what's kind of funny is you was meant you were mentioning Parliament Funkadelic and George Clinton. Actually, uh, my father knew most of the people in Parliament Funkadelic when I was a kid. And in my oh, wow. room, in my bedroom, I actually, I would think I was six years old. He came back from meeting them. He went to a concert and he was backstage with them. And he brought me back uh, an autographed uh, a poster, very large poster of the different people from that were part of the band, George Clinton, whoever else the, were the main people who signed the poster. I mean, this was an all out post. I mean, they were in there, you know, sir, nose mask, wow. <laughs> the diaper. Right. It totally inspired the imagination. Like, you know, I grew up listening to the music and looking at these album covers, trying to figure out what does all of this stuff mean? And then he shows up with this gigantic poster, well, all of them in their garb. And and I was blown away. It was like my prized possession as a kid that I had a poster, which has, has unfortunately been lost through history of all of the main people in the <laughs> band. Uh, so, you know, so it was, it, it, that kind of brought me back for a minute. I was like, wow, remember that post? I hadn't thought about that poster in a long time. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, all of that artwork, you know, it was all sci-fi inspired. You know, George Clinton referenced a lot of, um, he read a lot of sci-fi books, you know, and, and kind of incorporated certain storylines. Uh, and it was this whole idea, I think, of using the combination of music and costumes and lyrics to kind of invert realities and create another space where people could sort of experience themselves. And I think that's what makes a lot of music that we put in the Afrofuturist category sort of interesting is that it almost it's like it creates an alternate world space for people to see themselves in. (laughs) It doesn't seem of the time, but, you know, it has this whole timeless dynamic. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, I, I joke with um, um, some, uh, you know, a mutual person, you, you know what I'm talking about, Sifu, but I went to him, I, sometimes I go meet some of his old buddies from the 70s, that, that old martial art crew, and it's funny that yeah. almost all of the people other than him have like sci-fi or kung fu names, you know, you know, Wing Cobra, Tiger 
whatever, dragon, whatever. And they all have these nicknames. They don't never call each other by their real names. And, and you know, so I jokingly say, "Hey, I need a real cool kung fu name." <laughs> but but that's a part of the science fiction. They created their own culture to where in that culture they weren't just John, Drone, Billy, or whatever. They were this uh, master of a mystic art, and they had to have a name that was appropriate for it. it, 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 it wow. It's kind of interesting because I've just noticed the dynamic, and it's it, it's really kind of special. Well, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, you have hip-hop artists, they create other alternate names. Or you have graffiti artists, you know, they need to come up with a tag name, right? Um, you know, almost, uh, or someone even like a sunrise, like I said, who created this persona to be able to experience themselves and step out of how they felt people defined them. If their name was John or Herman, you know. So <laughs> for them to, to be more of themselves, they have to, create another sort of name um, and, and feel like they were all powerful or, or at least had unique talents that they could pursue that they can't pursue when they're just using their, their normal name. And, and that's an interesting idea, I think, uh, that uh, that people seek that out, you know, uh, or, or have to go into the realms of the imagination to connect with themselves. Uh, <laughs> because if they don't, it's rejected. You know, I think yeah. about someone like Sun Ra, whose name was Herman, you know, uh, and he's coming out of Birmingham. I mean, if he was playing the kind of music, you know, like Astro Black and a lot of music he created as this kind of traditional jazz artist from Birmingham, uh, he couldn't have done it. He had to literally help uh, cultivate this idea that he came from somewhere else to justify playing otherworldly music, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I don't know, fun points of contemplation. Yeah, and it's an imagination thing that that's so new thought when we say in new thought, for instance, that metaphysically Adam uh, in the Garden of Eden starts to name a thing, and a name symbolizes the nature. So when you give yourself a new name, you're actually giving yourself a new nature. That means you have a different function, you have a different purpose, you have a different identity, you have a different mission, because you have a new name. And I think that that's one of the things that's really unique about that process. I have a new name, I have a new nature, and it's not something that was that was given to me through my humanity. It is something that came forth from my consciousness, much like a Jesus in in the allegory of the virgin birth is not the son of Joseph because Joseph can't give birth to that. Uh, human intellect can't give birth to Christ consciousness. But right. the elevated levels of consciousness can. So I think it's, it's, it's similar in many ways when we start to look at the myths and the allegories and the symbolism that are that shows up in religious culture, they're doing the exact same thing in music and art and philosophy and many other things, many times, many times in um, in religion, they'll a person will take on a new name when they uh, when they um, when they reach a certain level of enlightenment. You know, in in the East, many of the yogis take on different names. Uh, uh, many of the swamis take on different names, and it's it's. It's, it's very similar. So I'm just noticing the parallels from what you're saying. Um, and I also want to take a moment to make sure that, again, if you want to call in or make a comment or just say hi, you can call in at 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. So, Yatasha, I want to talk a little bit about the imagination and how you mentioned it briefly earlier, how growing up with new thought and imagination helped you navigate the Afrofuturism? How do you, you know, in working with the imagination, and you can reference if you so choose, uh, and obviously you will if you want, uh, our uh, mutual uh, uh, author that we like, uh, Neville Goddard, in this context, if it works, (laughs) uh, about how working with the imagination matters, especially from a new thought perspective, transitioning into Afrofuturism. Well, it's interesting. The The first time I remember 
subconsciously being introduced to a lot of the concepts we now associate with Afrofuturists. Now, now obviously, I grew up with a lot of things that were Afrofuturists and didn't know it, right, as did most people because we weren't familiar with the term. But when I uh, was at Clark Atlanta University, you know, my freshman year, I remember meeting a guy, and he was talking about, you know, he was talking about Parliament Funkadelic, and he was talking about sci-fi films, and, and then he's talking about these comic books, and then he's talking about ancient technologies, and then he's talking about black culture and social change. And at some point, I asked him, I said, well, what is this called? Like, what is the, the, the foundation for this? And he didn't really know. And I started, you know, the way he was talking about it sounds very metaphysics-based. So I asked him if he was familiar with New Thought. And at the time, he said he wasn't. And then I said, well, do you know about metaphysics? And he said, yes. And then, you know, as we started talking, a lot of the the books from the New Thought canon, uh, he was very familiar with. And he had read them, but not in what we would call a New Thought context, or knowing it as New Thought, right? And so um, he, you know, would run across a novel or he would run across, you know, many of the other kind of esteemed writers. And we could talk about that. Uh, and so for me, you know, while dance and the music and, and the idea of the imagination was very much rooted in Afrofuturism, the, the orientation around metaphysics is at least philosophically what got me engaged in a lot of these conversations because, you know, especially kind of, you know, late 90s-ish, a lot of people were referencing metaphysics and hip-hop culture. Um, so, you know, just in terms of, of college kids, you know, just hanging out, a lot of people were talking about metaphysics, whether they identified it in a new thought context or not, right? Um, oftentimes, at least a lot of the people that I was speaking to were trying to contextualize it in an, in an African sense. And later, uh, as I came to actually hear the word Afrofuturism, which I don't remember hearing uh, until, you know, around the time I decided to to write the book itself. Uh, it, it became very obvious to me through just my studies around culture that there was a limited sense of identity uh, around culture, and in some respects black cultures, um, in terms of how to talk about it. There was, you know, the, the same kinds of narratives that certain people wanted to emphasize, and it was a narrative that had more to do with dystopianism than, in my opinion, the reality of a certain resilience, uh, where you had many people of African descent, you know, particularly if they came through the Americas, come through, like, these really unusual circumstances, and unusual being a more diplomatic way of placing it, right? And right. so I say that um, because it's the imagination that helped move people forward. You know, it was the imagination um, or or clinging to the beauties of your humanity that helped people in some sense survive or helped people to see beyond where they were. It was this idea that they had a larger identity, one that was broader than kind of this three-dimensional sense of self that uh, made people challenge things, you know, um, and know that they were moving a ball forward, right? Right. And, you know, I, I think that's very, very important when you talk about, say, the experience of, you know, the, the, the African diaspora, that, you know, much of the survival and, you know, thriving came through an embracing of the imagination, a belief that there was more, uh, a belief that, you know, in, in some sense you were, were divine, right? And so... Uh, I just think that's kind of a point to emphasize when, you know, you're talking to kids and they're in situations where they can't imagine anything beyond where they are. And it becomes this peeled back layer of, of talking about trying to get them to see that, no, life is not, you know, the sense of fatalism or dystopianism. Life is not the four walls around you. There's more to it, but you, they have to literally imagine that it's possible. Uh, in some cases, to step outside of what could be limited circumstances. But, you know, that's not just, you know, kids in troubled environments. It's a lot of people. <laughs> right. <laughs> they can't right. see beyond kind of where they are. 
And yes, absolutely. Uh, we're coming up on our last break, Natasha, and, and it sounds like you're in the flow. I don't want to stop you because it's, it's coming out the soul in, in, in its purest form. But I do want to make sure that we do allow people, allow ourselves to take the quick break. Again, if you need to call in, you can call in at 888-558-6489. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms. If you've ever wondered how a specific Bible verse might be interpreted metaphysically, then Interpret This is for you. In Interpret This, Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley answers your questions about the Bible and how to apply its verses to your life with passion, depth, and spiritual insight. To submit a question or to enjoy any of his numerous metaphysical interpretations, visit unity.org and click on the Interpret This box. There is peace. There is quiet. Reverend Paulette's mantra is, it's all a prayer. Tune in every Tuesday as Unity Minister Paulette Pipe leads you in meditation and prayer on touching the stillness. Make no mistake, this is not nap time with an energy that will captivate you. Touching the stillness will guide you in deep meditation, leaving you enlivened. Hear astounding meditations and learn more about different forms of meditation. Enrich your prayer life as Reverend Paulette, Senior Minister of Touching the Stillness Ministries, affirmatively prays with power and authority by taking live prayer requests from callers like you. Whether you have a prayer request for yourself or for a loved one or are ready for a deepened meditation experience, make sure you tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be joining in consciousness with the unceasing prayer activity of the Silent Unity 24-7 Prayer Ministry at Unity Village. That's Touching the Stillness with Reverend Paulette Pipe every Tuesday right here on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Letting go in the stillness. You've been listening to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. If you have questions or comments about today's program, or if you'd like to join in on the discussion, email us at truthtransforms at unity.fm. Now back to Truth Transforms. All right. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. Uh, I am interviewing the author of Afrofuturism, Yatasha Womack, and she was in the flow talking about imagination. And, you know, I didn't want to stop the flow that you were in. But, but I did want to emphasize one thing um, in studying anyone who's ever taught success. Uh, normally, sooner or later, vision or imagination or terms that are consistent with imagination come forward. So I want to just put a pin on that for you to talk about. But I also want to um, so the listeners will know and um and from my understanding, there's some issues with hearing it live, so people will have to hear this afterwards. How can they get your books, and how can they get in contact with you? Sure, they can go. Um, my books are everywhere, so you can go into bookstores um, and order the book. You can go on Amazon. You can check out my website, iafrofuturism.com, or raylist2212.com as well. All right, all right. So now people know how to contact you. So now going back to the question about imagination, uh, again, working with vision, why is it so important that people see in their minds a preferred future? Well, that's what helps bring it about, you know. Um, (laughs) If you don't see it, it, it doesn't happen, right? Right. Uh, or you you just kind of stay in this constant state of of uh, perpetual motion. Uh, and if you want to see something different, you have to at least, I think, believe it's possible. 
and have some sort of vision of it, uh, whether it's a, a, a conscious vision or an unconscious vision, uh, so that you just don't have these narratives that other people have created playing out in your mind and then getting frustrated because you're saying, well, this isn't what I want. It's like, well, what do you want? And ha- actively having that sort of conversation. Uh, obviously, you have a lot of advocates and, and people who are working towards specific goals, but even in that space, I mean, you have, um, you know, there's some great women who put together a book called Octavia's Brood where they had social activists write sci-fi stories because sometimes even in the midst of of the tough work of creating social change, you know, people need inspiration. They need to be focused on, well, what's the end goal here, Right. Uh, you know, once we reach these tasks, what will it look like um, when you you no longer have, uh, you know, say say discriminatory practices around color? What will that look like? You know, I mean, how many times have you actually engaged that sort of conversation around what it would look like? What would it feel like, right? right. Uh, I don't hear too many people talking about that. Right, um, right. Sometimes, as they're they're battling these different things, you know, what will it look like when, um, you know, sex discrimination or sexism itself doesn't exist? You know, what would be the visual for it? How would it function? How would things play out? Uh, and and having some sort of visual around that, or at least a feeling. You know, sometimes it's hard for people to see stuff, and maybe they can feel something. Uh, right. And and kind of engaging that so we don't wind up with the same problems decade after decade just in various forms. Right, right. And, you know, I was thinking about, as you were mentioning that, talking about projecting forward, but also projecting back, you know, uh, and over the last three or four years, um, Hollywood has produced mega blockbuster films that flopped dramatically because they were trying to promote Egyptian gods, for instance, as, you know, people from Australia and Scotland. There's nothing wrong with, obviously, people of any race. But it's, it's but people are waking up to the fact that, you know, Africans didn't look like this. Uh, making Bible movies and Middle Easterners didn't look like, you know, what is being portrayed on the film or, you know, as, you know, one of, one of my brothers, you know, twisted my arm to go see the Christian Bale Moses movie. And it was an abomination, an absolute abomination. (laughs) (laughs) Well, right. And it goes to, you know, the power of images, right? Right. I mean, there are people who probably want to argue you down and say that Egypt's not in Africa. You know, um, why are they saying this? Because of the sort of images that have been presented. And, you know, fortunately in this world we have, you know, the Internet and, you know, people can look up more information, which helps. You know, you can have real-time interactions with people all over the world. Uh, That changes things dramatically. But I I think it points to this whole idea of who's telling a story and what story are they telling. Uh, You know, a lot of what people think is history is really a mythology. (laughs) <laughs> at yes. the end of the day, and I don't. That's not helping uh, our society as a whole to have this idea that you know only a handful of people really created to really contributed to the progress on the planet. Um, that, that does a disservice to everyone to kind of maintain these narratives, or yes. to you know um, only want to tell talk about greatness and heroism, you know, if it came out of a very specific region of the world. And if not, well, then, you know, we have to make that heroism look like that specific that specific world. So all of these things are problems. Uh, and I think that it, it's interesting that it literally comes down to telling a story. Who has the ability to imagine, right? Um, who can have agency around their imagination? You know, when when people uh, in different societies have been subjugated, it's usually the imagination that's hijacked. Right, 
And, you know, as kind of new thought metaphysicians, that's dangerous. You know, that's the, the big problem. So for some people, you know, they could say, oh, you know, what difference does it make if you tell a little story about the future and you have a kid just as a robot, you know, <laughs> what is that supposed to do, right? Well, you know, it's an inkling of inspiration. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it reminds me as a kid, because you, you reference it in your book, um, the this Jack Kirby, Stan Lee creating black characters under the understanding that, wait a minute, um, you know, we don't have characters that represent or symbolize the 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 culture, creating a black panther who's the, the king of the most advanced nation on the planet, you know, that that. That's a shift, especially for people, you know, that had, you know, that all of the superheroes are primarily Caucasian. And then, you know, you have a person who's the king and acts royal. Even in the Captain America movie, you know, people were talking about how royal the Black Panther character was because many times characters are portrayed in a particular kind of way. And it's, it was really interesting to see. When I was talking to people about the movies, so who was your favorite character in the Captain America Civil War? And almost to a person, people said the Black Panther, regardless of race or gender, Black Panther, mm-hmm. because it, it showed a sense of, uh, 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 of you can look at, at look at this different and or differently. And even and many people don't know this, that Stan Lee, when he created the X-Men, that Professor X is supposed to be a Caucasian Martin Luther King, and Magneto is supposed to be a Caucasian Malcolm X. That's right. fact. Right, and that explains everything. Yeah. <laughs> when you look, <laughs> when at, you look the, at the storyline. Right. Yeah, you know, so Magneto wasn't created to be a villain. He was originally created to be a person that says that was that was a mutant nationalist. You know, so even those little subtle things, because the 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 X Men story was supposed to be a story about the racism, the the homophobia, the sexism, and all other type of uh, religious and intolerance and things of that nature, wrapped up in a story about people who are born different. Right. And how do you and navigate society when you're not only different but you're rejected because you're different and even feared because you're different? And two different approaches. It, you know, it's right. just it's just interesting how imagination, people read the stories and don't even really realize what they're reading. It's right. a bigger picture. And that was, you know, the only way for some people to engage with it. I mean, the whole concept of the alien, you know, that, that time didn't begin with, you know, notions of little green men from afar, right? Uh, you know, very early on, the word alien literally referred to people who were different. Um, And, you know, that's how it was used. Um, And in some ways, even the way people use illegal alien, which, you know, is a horribly offensive term when you're talking about human beings, but it was about this kind of perception of difference. And if you look at a lot of the the sci-fi, you know, alien films, you know, what's the relationship to this alien? You know, the alien is feared. The alien is coming to take over. The alien's coming in masses. You know, or the alien must be understood, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. kind of this subconscious uh, uh, play out of a perception of differences amongst human beings, which, uh, you know, on one level is very odd, you know, uh, that people on one planet, you know, for one reason or another, there's this whole socialization process around the perception of difference, uh, yeah. you know, and, and what that's supposed to mean. It's, you know, to be feared or, you know, other kinds of fictions people add to it. Uh, and so so in that sense, you know, science fiction has, has told really interesting tales and, and referenced you know, uh, separations around, you know, creation of race or um, gender as the basis for the storytelling, even as you, you referenced, um, uh, you know, with the X-Men. Yeah, yeah. And so we're, we got to wrap up now. We have about 30 seconds left. So let me, first of all, 
tell the people, go out and buy the book Afro, Afrofuturism. You will enjoy it. Trust me. You get the book. You can order it on Amazon.com or in bookstores or, you know, and all other ways you, you actually purchase books. But go out and, and get it and allow your imagination to stretch and then start to look for ways you've seen where Afrofuturism or futurism in general was promoted. Um, thank you, Yatasha, for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it. This has been a wonderful conversation. We'll have to do this again uh, because I'm, I'm sure we could do four or five shows before we exhaust conversation because this is what happens when we just talk normally. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank, thank you, you for inviting me. This has been a lot of fun. Yes, definitely, definitely. So continue being an open vessel and conduit through which the infinite intelligence of the universe can use your imagination in the form of words to help us stretch and grow. So thank you. Thank you, listeners. God bless you. Next week, I'm starting a new series based upon Catherine Ponder's book, Open Your Mind to Prosperity. I'm going to teach the book chapter by chapter. So make sure you purchase the book. So when I start live next week, you'll be with me with the book in your hand getting the points you need so you can get the breakthroughs you need by transforming your consciousness. God bless you. I'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Join us every Wednesday at 10 a.m. for live discussions about how to live a spiritually transformed, prosperous, healthy, and joyful life. Truth Transforms, only on Unity Online Radio. This program is brought to you in part by Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. Online at www.cutemple.org and on Facebook and Twitter under CU Temple. Understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting, no more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you're ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zander every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real. There's a story about a man who was looking for a new home. When he arrived at the gate of a city, he asked, Tell me what kind of people live here. The gatekeeper replied, Tell me about the people in the place you've come from. He answered, They were angry, self-centered, and dishonest. The gatekeeper said, They're just like that here. You wouldn't be happy. Move on. Later, another stranger arrived and asked the same question. The gatekeeper said, Tell me about the people in your last town. She answered, Oh, they were wonderful, kind, generous, and loving. The gatekeeper replied, The people of this town are just like that. Come on in. You'll be happy here. Often we see the world not as it is, but as we are. If you want to change the world, start with yourself. Be the kind of person you wish the rest of the world would be. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how. 
each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.